Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Hello, I'm Elaine Miller Karras, and welcome to Resiliency Within. I also want to remind our listeners that we're also live on Facebook at Resiliency Within. And this month, we celebrate Black History Month. Its theme for 2022 is Black Health and Wellness, focused on the legacy of Black scholars and medical practitioners in Western medicine. The 2022 theme considers activities, rituals, and initiatives that Black communities have done to be well. And this month, I will interview leaders who are all community resiliency model teachers, bringing wellness skills to their communities. And my guest today, I'm so um, so honored to have him here is Reggie McNeil, founder and executive director of Transforming Youth Movement. And our show today is called Keeping Faith, Trauma Resiliency and Wellness about, Among Black Youth in America. And I want to tell you a little bit more about Reggie. He's a community leader with a strong background in corporate management. Through hard work, opportunity, and mentors in his own life, Reggie has overcome challenges and envisioned an organization to help other young people do the same. He began, he began giving back um, quite a few years ago now by acting as a community organizer through ministry and then later by mentoring in Atlanta's public housing communities, helping establish financial mobility and home ownership. And after returning to North Carolina, he established Transforming Youth Movement. I'm going to say it again. He's going to give us the website later, Transforming Youth Movement believing that by focusing on the themes of mentoring, educational enhancement, career preparedness, cultural and social awareness, civic engagement, and financial literacy, he could help transform the lives of young people. Reggie will discuss how Black youth in America are confronted by trauma disproportionately affecting their communities. And as we remember the past, engage the present, and envision the future, the protective factors within youth, their families, and communities can be strengthened through wellness skills. Despite inadequate access to mental health resources, Black youth can draw on a rich legacy of faith-based cultural resiliency to help them navigate life's challenges. So these are the really the words of Reggie, the last few statements I've made. Um, I, I want to say a little, uh, one more thing to, about him too. He once said to me, you know, I want to get rid of the words at-risk youth and really start using more at opportunity youth. And I thought how important that semantic shift was. So I really want to um, thank you for that, Reggie, because I think if we start looking at children at, at the, as, a, as a time of opportunity, maybe they wouldn't be, so to, so to speak, have those risks that challenge their lives that may derail them. So as we start today, I'm just going to ask you what's on your mind as you've heard this introduction <laughs> about you and your here with me today in America. 
<laughs> What's on my mind? Well, I can tell you the first thing on my mind is that I was I'm shocked and surprised to be on Voice America. I was grateful and humbled that you would give me such an opportunity to come on and share our organization, uh, some life uh, history, uh, some hopes and some desires that I have. And oh, by the way, am I really grounded enough? Uh, to get through this one hour, this presentation. <laughs> I think you are going, uh, you are already. That's my hunch. Hey, man, we're going to find out here shortly. Yeah. So, Reggie, I want to ask you a question because I, you know, you and I have spoken before in the past. How has your lived experience inspired your work with youth? Like, what happened to your life that you decided, I'm going to really try to do something for the youth of my community? Yeah. And so oddly enough, and, uh, you know, Elaine, in so much honesty in our conversations over the time that we've talked. And so for the, you know, for what a lot of people didn't realize uh, is that for the better part of 15 years, I lived under some of the stigmas that the youth uh, face that we deal with uh, today. Uh, you know, uh, I had a life of which where I was adopted at two years old fortunate to stay uh, in home in terms of with uh, family members, but uh, adopted nonetheless and had to learn that at, after two years old that, you know, it was, I was adopted. <laughs> I think that was the first uh, deal. I had the own personal challenges of dealing with what that looked like after realizing that, because a lot of times people don't realize how that may seem basic, but coming to realize it for me was about fourth or fifth grade. Uh, you know, yeah. you've been believing one thing over another and all of a sudden the, the covers pulled back. There's a realization that, Oh, by the way, you're a part of something that you were not aware of. And so over time, those, that, that reality, no matter how much love and care was there, pushed me into a position that at some point after getting reconnected and quote unquote adopted by my mother uh, and moving to, uh, you know, what was deemed as the city. I've traveled enough now to know that I love my hometown. But we're probably not a big city, uh, but long version short, uh, those things being equal, uh, I ended up going down a path, uh, much like some of the young people that we deal with today. I got myself in many adverse situations, uh, needed guidance and mentors uh, that just didn't, weren't readily available for me uh, at that time in my life. Uh, fortunately, uh, April 18th, 97, I had an, uh, uh, you know, a life-changing, altering moment. Uh, that re you know positioned how I thought about not only you know the world around me but personally uh, myself. So what uh, happened? And, you remember that date so clearly. So uh, what happened in, in 1997 that changed that? 1997. Yeah, 1997. I was driving down a street uh, called Butterfield, heading to cross over Carver School Road, and I came to a stoplight, a uh, stop sign rather. Uh, and for the first time, seemingly in years, I was about 25 years old. I'd gotten myself in such a turmoil to my focus was so streamlined. I don't know that I was paying attention to the world around me. Uh, in so much of a basic way uh, for realization, I happened to look up and notice the colors in the sky. I, I was I was blown away at 20 some years old. I was saying, man, there's red and blue and white and all these different colors. And it was taken as I was taking this in. Uh, there was this moment where the sun appeared to be bigger than the norm. Uh, at some point, that sun became feeling radiant. Uh, I felt it uh, piercing on, on myself. Uh, and then ultimately, that sunlight seemed to overtake uh, my car. Uh, and it was from that moment uh, on a Friday night 
April 18, 1997, uh, that I, my mom invited me to uh, a, a church. I had not been to church since I was 12. <laughs> I was like, man, the moment she told me I could be out of there, I was out of there. I mean, I, when I didn't have to go as much as I loved it. Trust me, that'll be a later story. Uh, but the long version short, uh, revisited uh, with her uh, on that night, uh, a, a small church, uh, the uncompromising word uh, was the name of it. But in this church happened to be uh, a minister who spoke uh, to uh, me and I felt it was personal uh, and, and it made me feel that I could change. And so from there, uh, it was one year later uh, that I, I, I sat out on my journey to Atlanta, Georgia in 98 uh, for, for change. Wow. So, I mean, it sounds like that experience at the stoplight was a spiritual experience that really yeah. was, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But oh, I, no, I would hold hard. Yeah, I would. It is the hallmark of now where faith for me is, is the cornerstone of who I am in, in my life. And I'm actually grateful to have an opportunity even in this platform uh, to share it because too often, whether it's been in the private sector, the nonprofit, you have to be careful. You say this, you don't say that, you know, and these things are biases and all the things that have really stigmatized those of us who believe that we right. feel isolated. Well, you know? And that's, and that's really kind of segues into my next question for you. What are some of the things that you do to keep up personal faith and hope? Cause I know you hear some pretty hard stories that, children have lived through and young people have lived through, you know, similar to what you would live through and probably some things, even greater challenges. So how do you keep the faith and hope? Yeah. So about four years ago, surprisingly, uh, I went out to the garage and first thing, so so let me go backwards a little bit further. So about four years ago, I had the notion to quote the Lord's prayer every day, you know, the our father, which are in heaven, I, I would, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, et cetera, all the way through. And so that became a morning ritual for me in that I wouldn't, well, let me just say this. I use the restroom in case somebody's asking. I go and play around in the mirror. I make my coffee. I do a lot of things a lot of times before that. But, but right when my mind focuses on I'm here today, I'm going to say the Lord's prayer. So I do that every single day. Uh, and then somehow over the course of some time, uh, music was incorporated, which was my first love, as I shared. Well, I understand that you also can sing and yeah. uh, you do some mean impressions as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes. so, so I know I shared the Martin King one uh, with you. Yes. Uh, and to your point, yeah, no, uh, the first time I got a microphone, I was four years old. I was in a, uh, a, a small uh, church, Mount Abel Pentecostal Holiness Church. And, uh, and boy, everything I thought about life, I could cut loose with that microphone in my hand. And I shared in ways through song uh, in, that, that I hope to, you know, one day and still inspire uh, others uh, with because about four years ago, incorporating you know music into a daily devotion, uh, in addition to mindfulness, uh, meditation, and then ultimately uh, you brought crim uh, skills, the, the community uh, so, resiliency model skills. Yes, yeah, so you com- got quite a little smorgasbord yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I, I I assure you, uh, and whoever the listening audience is, I do not leave my garage no day before I go through a sequence of those 
experiences. The book I had read enough, I studied so much religion across 5,000 years in the Egyptology, into Catholicism, Masonry, Five Percenter, uh, but came to find faith and hope in uh, Christianity, and that's been the hallmark of my life. But I say that to say incorporating all these things and then, you know, coming to a place of understanding how important it is for you to self-care uh, in, in the words of Krim. Uh, I didn't realize how much that was until, of course, you got a language. Thank you for sensory languages, et cetera. Uh, but once getting a language, I realized the importance of these things. And so from there, uh, yeah, if I, have to, if I have to be at a, an appointment at 6 a.m., I'm up at 4.30 a.m. Uh, if I have to be at the, at the appointment at nine, I might get up at 730. But I'm going to make sure that I don't leave that garage before spending one hour uh, within uh, the, the concepts of everything I shared. A Lord's Prayer, a daily devotion, some mindfulness, some meditation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I you know, recite the wellness skills. That's <laughs> like the community resiliency model. Wow, that's well, that's a lovely practice. So I, so that's I'm going to. Um, Thank you for sharing that. I think I could be sometimes better at my daily practices, but I've also found um, saying the Lord's Prayer to be very um, helpful as well. Yeah. Um, I actually had someone talk to me one time. I was, um, I was actually in Atlanta, and I was um, doing a CRIM teacher training, and there was the chaplain there that was working in the juvenile justice system. And he um, came to me after learning the community resiliency model skills because of the sensory base of it. He said, I've been, do, I've been saying the Lord's Prayer every morning in my life since I was a boy. But I had an experience, he said, this morning that I'd never had before in that I sensed what right. it was like as I said wow. the prayer. And he wow. said that actually even made it that much more powerful. So I don't know if you've done that as well, yeah. Reggie. No. Yeah. So for the future, uh, and maybe one day we'll get, maybe today, I don't know, but but. So since, uh, you know, becoming more aware uh, and more keenly, you know, focused on, on the, the world around me. And again, uh, you know, like I say, my faith has a, a has the hallmark bearing on my the cornerstone of my heart. Uh, but but no. Yeah. The, the, the community resiliency model uh, wellness skills and developing them brought me into a more uh, I feel synchronized now over the last, say, you know, two years for sure. But like I said, I started those practices four years ago. Over the last two years, uh, Elaine, and I know that there are many out there that will testify. I hope they will share and stand in agreement with me. But, I think there um, might but, be some. <laughs> yeah, but the, bird, but the birds now get closer to me than ever before. Mm. Uh, I've had a bird literally come in my garage and, and just floating in front of me while I was either reading a devotion or doing some meditation. Uh, the squirrels, the rabbits are more keenly like in focus for me. Uh, I, I can feel uh, the, the, the wind more uh, than I've ever felt it before in a different way. Uh, and no, yeah, no, the, the, the world around me is almost is a, is a, is a really good thing. And the negative can be that as I developed all of these senses, uh, you get more keen sense of the people around you too, which you have to be careful. There's a deepened sense of self and your connectedness to the world. Right. And then also, when you start being aware on this kind of sensory level, you can also see when people are not kind of what we call in their zone of well-being. Correct. And then that can also be unsettling for us, especially as we become Correct. more inner aware. Well, and I guess that's going to lead me to, you know, one of the things, you know, we really want to hear today, what led you to found the Transformation Youth Movement? So in the interest of faith, I think it's incredible that we fail in that space. 
Uh, but to your point, I'd like to just on the end of what you shared, I, it is such a profound statement to the fact that the more you become aware uh, of yourself and the, the things around you, it can be a little nerving at first. Yes. Uh, you yeah. know, like, wow, the world might be a little scary place, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I can appreciate you saying that because uh, as I've grown again over the last four years, I've become more aware of that. And that was, in, so it was good to hear that. Uh, but, 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 but I wish I could take credit for uh, this organization uh, in terms of the mentality. Uh, but it was in 2000 uh, that I, in fact, had a dream uh, and that I woke up in this dream that and I, for the first time, asked myself, I can still remember it almost to like yesterday, but I asked, I was questioning myself in this dream. This is a two or three in the morning type dream. I'm, I'm literally in the what I didn't, I questioned, am I in a daydream or a night dream in this moment? And even the fact that I can remember that, I was like, how am I thinking about a day versus a night dream? And the questioning felt in my heart, what's the difference? And so in that space, uh, Elaine, I, could, I came to some feeling like I could bring the belief of the dream that I was having into the real world. And from there, I needed to write. I needed to put, scribe it down. So I, start, I, I, I can tell you the truth. I cannot recall even to this day whether I was awake <laughs> or not, but I know uh, I could visually see all the things that were happening in the space with me. I was, in fact, writing some of the basic of details. Of course, I've learned a lot now since that it took a lot more than even what I scribed. Uh, but, but God had a way of bringing the resources to me uh, over the years. Uh, after 10 years of running around telling people, hey, man, I've got this dream. I've got this dream and I'm sharing this dream. Uh, and the long version, short of it all, uh, it had the details of, of, of bringing awareness to changing myth. Uh, helping youth not be so conformed to the things of the world, but having a true newness of mind. And what that meant for me and them was to put possibilities in front of them. I had felt like, I guess, the sense of longing of hope uh, was diminishing uh, in the world, in particular around youth, because I started getting in that space. I had seen the perils of community. I both grew up in one, in many of them, hung out in many of them. And then now I was seeing it with some light in my eyes, you know, given uh, some some recent salvation. It was just kind of like caught in the midst of a, a real moment where this is a dream happening at night or in the morning uh, with real details, uh, with real specifics. Uh, that gave me hope that if, in fact, I did do those things, we could or I could really, really you know, create some hope and opportunities for young people. Uh, oh, my goodness, Reggie. I had, you had never told me about the dream before. Yeah. I love that. And I, I mean, I, I'm going to share something that I have never shared on the air before. So <laughs> back in, oh, my gosh, I think it's probably 20, 28 years ago about that. I had the same experience. I had a, a dream where I didn't know whether I was awake or whether I was asleep, but the dream was about the sea of suffering. Oh, wow. And I almost like when I had my eyes open, almost oh, could yeah. see the sea, right? And I was teaching, you know, like family medicine at a right, know, right, right. academic center. I go, this is a little bit strange <laughs> right. what I'm experiencing. But you're sure you're seeing it. That's the, <laughs> that, what's, that's strange right. is that you, what's strange is you didn't share it because who you're going to tell. That's the Well, reality. that's exactly right. I thought yeah, people might right. think I'm a little bit crazy if I tell yeah, the story, yeah, right? But, but, it, but it, was, it was about the sea of suffering and I wasn't afraid of the sea of suffering. Right. I was the sea, the sea was me. 
there was a peacefulness of being in the sea of suffering. So I went on a journey asking many people about what they thought it meant. I went to my minister and someone um, actually took me to a very dear Tibetan monk. And actually what he said to me stood, stood very well. in what I was thinking, he said, well, you know, it's very important. I goes, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we pay attention to dreams in my practice, he said, but it's important not to get too excited by them, but to just be aware of them, notice them, and that you will, a path will come that you will know what to take. And so then many years later, I was invited to go to Thailand after the tsunami, talk about the sea of suffering. And that's where I had some of the ideas that sparked the community resiliency model. And wow. so when you think about that, so our listeners might be like, well, this is interesting. Regina Lehner talking about no, that, that is re- That is but really thank cool. You. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I mean, honestly, uh, when you when you talk about, you know, the space of being in that, you know, unsure am I uh, up or not? I mean, to your point, I literally could see like, you know, thousands upon thousands of kids coming up over a hill. Uh, the only thing that I've uh, ever seen that looked like that in this real world for me uh, was the iRobot movie with Will Smith and the, and the robot seeing the other robots. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 know that I, I was a castaway robot, you know. But, so I, you know, but I think that, you know, there's so many mysteries of the world and we don't know necessarily. I mean, we can sit here and go, well, what does that mean? Where did it come from? Some of us might think it's God. Sometimes other people yeah. might say, well, it's the mystery of the mind. But whatever your belief structure is, that I do think that there are, there are, that our our brains, our minds are amazing. And when we get these kinds right. of dreams, right. that if we need to pay attention to them like you did, because if you hadn't paid attention to that dream, we might not be having this conversation right now. About, I'm certainly would not. <laughs> yes. And then if I had maybe followed the, also mine in terms of going to no. Thailand, I'd never hardly no. traveled internationally. No. That opened up a whole world that I think that has led to our conversation, certainly. Really cool. Really so, cool. Can you can can you tell me a little bit about your organization's mission? What is the mission of the organization? So uh, our, our mission is that we exist to inspire positive social change and community transformation with an emphasis on through youth. Uh, I think far too often uh, as adults, I've come to realize that we can come become disconnected. Uh, we have our own perspectives. We've got a worldview. We've been uh, we we're in desperate need of a perspective shift, if you will, uh, to remind ourselves of what it was like when we were a young person. And so, uh, for me, it's critically important that we have that at the core of what we do. Uh, that we have that uh, that assurance that if we meet young people where they are, we're going to have more of a an opportunity to help them. Uh, who wants someone to come into your life and you're in chaos? And, you know, I, let me go backwards. There was the, the notion back in the day to to bring people uh, to health and wellness when we used to go in and do sort of street evangelistic ministry. If someone said I was there hungry uh, to, to really bring a change, we needed to bring some food. right? And so as you met the need for hunger, then we were able to solve those problems and ultimately led to some, uh, you know, careers being given. Men and women uh, got life altering changes in home ownership. Some upward mobility was established over the years. But to your point, uh, these I think is critical uh, to remind ourselves to meet 
young people in particular. Well, let me just say this. You meet me, you might want to meet me where I'm at. Right. Yes. I think I'm, I'm the oldest young person that you might know <laughs> uh, in the reality world. But that's important to um, me, meeting young people who and where they are. Well, especially I think if we've seen children that have been oppressed and children who've suffered, that if that's we right. don't meet them where they are, then it would be harder to reach them, I would think. Has that been no, your experience? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that there becomes the, the biases, uh, the stigmas that exist, uh, the realities of, and especially when we're not a trauma-informed community, we, the, you, know, you can't, you know, the gestures can be, the, be different. Uh, all of the things that I have come to realize, uh, you know, is, is detrimental, detrimental to, to restoring a kid is being able to, again, meet them where they are. And so too often, yeah, to your point, uh, I see people, you know, maybe teaching at it, at the symptom, uh, speaking at the symptoms, uh, having some awareness, an informed opinion, but don't have the true, you know, empowerment of it all. Because again, uh, if, again, if you're, you're asking me, can I help you bring, uh, get a black pen? And if I bring you a blue pen, you know, <laughs> it's not going to help me to have a blue pen no, if I need a black pen. Right. Right. It'll be what you want. Right. Yeah. So then, so this, aspect of listening has become a huge part of what's embedded in your organization. Right. So we have what's known as the four L's. Uh, listening is the first of them. Foremost, you have to be able to listen. If you do, I think you have an opportunity to learn something of someone. When you learn from somebody, you then might love them for who they are. That then ultimately gives you the ability to lead them. So then listen, can you say that? Listen, learn, listen, love, yeah. and lead. Hey. Oh, I love that. Now, here's the deal. So I'll make this L between listening and learning. I see. So, so Reggie's putting his two hands together. Yeah. Oh, are, that's right. Are, I forgot. Are in the shape yeah. of an L. That's right. <laughs> two L's. So the first two. Yeah, the first two are L's together. You, you flip those together. You get an H. So between listening and learning, it depends on what you hear. So you have to listen, learn, love, and lead. And you can do that from the front, the middle, or the back of the bus. I, t I always encourage people to trust the driver or at least have some trust in the driver on the bus. Uh, but other than that, it depends on what you hear. Well, I think when you talk about listening and learning, too, I, I've been, I did, we did a show a little bit about uh, uh, Desmond Tutu and uh, the Dalai Lama. And they talked about how important, you know, in terms of, when you listen and learn from someone else, then you can also see our common humanity. So right. that brings us together as people, not separating us. Right. And, if we, and if we can't, which you I love that, listen and learn, because it really is about love. And Absolutely. Loving and loving ourselves. And then that brings Absolutely. that joy and love to other people, in my experience. Absolutely. I know I would wholeheartedly agree uh, without that the creation in, in the founder, or at least by most uh, so loved the world that right was given. And so in saying all those things at the core, I think it is a matter of love and it's important to have uh, that in your heart. And I don't think you should really interact with people if you don't have love in your heart. Well, and then so and I think from the love, you said leadership. And so I imagine right. many of the youth and when we come back from our break, I really want to hear more about some stories of your youth. But I imagine just like maybe you would not have imagined yourself as a leader when you were a teenager. Did you imagine right. yourself? as a leader i i i had no no i i planned on being you know you know michael jackson or james brown i was going in the genre of music you know i, I just <laughs> wasn't really thinking. <laughs> being a leader but you became well, a businessman and now you run a nonprofit. Yeah. so right. so it's right. like we sometimes don't know where we are going That's to right. be led in I'm order great. to lead 
And that stop sign on that April 18th, 1997 really was that segue that led you to that minister who became your mentor. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and so I guess the other thing too, is that you never know. It's literally where the road's going to leave. That's right. I agree. (laughs) And yours, it was the stop sign. You were actually on the road. I just, oh gosh, Reggie, that's the best story. So um, we're going to be back in just a few minutes uh, and we're going to hear more from my wonderful guest, Reggie McNeil, who will, he's going to tell a little, we're going to do a deeper dive into the organization and he's going to share with us some stories about the youth he's working with and really specifically some of the things that he does that are helping um, reach those four L's because we want to know how you do it. Absolutely. I mean, we, can, we can think about how you listen, but then how, right. how do those other things come to be? So he's going to illuminate us about his journey and the, uh, the wonderful people that work with him and how they serve the youthful community in North Carolina. Tell them what city you're in. We're in uh, currently Concord, North Carolina is our base. Concord, so, North Carolina. Yes, and man. That, we, also, we also have Rowan County, Mecklenburg County, and Union County. So okay, got so you've got quite a few, few counties in there. Tri-counties. Tri- okay. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Tri-counties. All right. This is Leigh Miller-Karras, and we will be back in just a, in just a few minutes, and we will continue our conversation. The Trauma Resource Institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency-focused individuals and communities worldwide. Our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information. Elaine Miller-Karis' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at elaine at resiliencywithin.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Elaine Miller-Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. Your life. Your health. Your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
This is Resiliency Within with Elaine Miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I'm here with Reggie McNeil, and he's, he's talking about his organization. Um, and he is going to share more about it. And can you tell us, I mean, because I think it's, say the name of the organization again and your website, because I really want to make sure that people hear this more than once. Thank you so much. Uh, Transforming Youth Movement, Inc. And our website is www.tyminc.org. Oh, that's pretty easy. T-Y-M-I-N-C.org. Okay. And so that's how you can get in touch with Reggie. That's how you can learn more about the the, the, uh, wonderful programming they're doing for youth. So let's hear more about that. So Reggie, can you share with us, um, you know, maybe a story about one of the youth? I mean, I know that you are sharing wellness skills with them, like the Community Resiliency Model, I imagine others as well. So let us know a little bit about how the programs you are, you've crafted for youth are working. So fortunately uh, for me, uh, as I shared, I had this dream in 2000 uh, till 2010 uh, before reconnecting uh, with uh, a young lady, Ms. Shannon Chambers, in this space who was able to help me sort of craft in this space what that could and look need to look like uh, for us to uh, bring the programming uh, that we've uh, brought now to uh, this area. Uh, and, and it takes a lot more incredible people that we've had uh, since then to help us build. Uh, but from there and, and having all these people, we've now uh, created what we hope to become sort of like a continuum of care deal, right? So our first program is mentoring. Uh, it's a year-long program. Uh, it's got, uh, you know, uh, it's six focus areas of mentoring, educational enhancement, career preparedness, cultural and social awareness, civic engagement, and financial literacy, as you talked about earlier. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to meet youth where they are. We do one to four, you know, small group match, and then we uh, we get them out in space. Now, sometimes you learn that a kid doesn't know how to shop at a grocery store. Uh, you'll be surprised. Oh my <laughs> on, gosh! Yeah, on a kid wanting a job that don't know that they got to have an ID, or they have to have you know uh, you know uh, their social security number. So the whole the whole nine. So I can go across all of that, but, but that's a lot of the. But that's some of the very basic things that you would hope that they would have somehow gotten maybe from their family or from school. But right. we might have lots of, uh, let's say, I guess, maybe math classes. But are we really teaching children how they can actually maneuver in right. the world? Right. Like even financial literacy. How do they right. go to a bank to open up a bank account? Things like right. that. Is that what you're teaching them? So, so absolutely. So, so, so the mentoring program is just that piece is more or less connection, bringing kids to open up and communicate, you know, somehow effectively. I like to say this is one thing to communicate, but I like effective communication. Uh, but that's a mentoring program, a year long deal. But from there, we've got a vocational program. That's a 25 week deal uh, within the first 12 weeks. We are, in fact, teaching them all those things, career readiness, uh, including conflict resolution, some soft skills, uh, all things that, again, going to help you get on that job and, and, and have a good and have longevity. Uh, fortunately, coming from all of the things we talked about, some of the story past, uh, but somehow I managed to, after the first mentor, become 
a regional trainer and general manager for two global companies taking me to 26 states uh, around the country. Uh, but seeing the things that I knew know was needed in that area, I then with that job program kind of helped, you know, get the, the folk ready for careers. Uh, but in addition to that, we have a uh, team court program where our kids get to manage the court. They're the bailiff, the they're the jury of peers, uh, they're they're the defense and uh, attorneys and, and the 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 the, uh, the DA. So again, kids get a chance to be in space, going through a real life situation, but not be so overwhelmed by a, a real big adult uh, overwhelming situation. Uh, but then also get restorative measures that bring them back because we've got holistic approaches to everything we do. Uh, and so we're able to provide that in the space of care uh, for those youth. Uh, then from there, we are able to place kids. We, we've got a partnership, wonderful partnership with Pinnacle. Uh, they are providing foster care, uh, therapeutic foster care placement for us. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, we've got a community service and restitution model, uh, which our organization got a chance to work with a lot of great uh, people, uh, including uh, uh, judges from the 26th uh, district uh, that helped us, or they you know, sort of created an MCYC or Mecklenburg Youth uh, Coalition that allowed for us to get in space and introduce based on uh, our learning of their desires to have pro-social and interest-based initiatives be a part of it. So, creative. but as you're talking, I'm seeing you had to make a lot of partnerships and collaborations to make all uh, these things happen. I mean, yeah. what you had to do with Pinnacle, so that means the kids could um, have more resources and right. even and even um, brokering the judicial system. My husband's a judge, so I know that it's not okay. the easiest yeah. system at all uh, at all times to maneuver. Right. So, right. How, how did you get them interested in what you were doing? I think, you know, what was the spark that right. they said, "Okay, Reggie, we're we're in." <laughs> right. So the the real spark is is there are a lot more intelligent people working around me today than me. <laughs> so it takes a village, right? It takes a village. Yeah. Raise me. You can believe that, right? But no, so, but, but in honesty, uh, I had a chance to hear a speech uh, one night uh, by a local judge, uh, Lutrash, uh, who gave a pitch for pro social and interest based initiatives that struck a nerve with me. I had had a dream similar to the one he was sharing. And because I was who I was, I had to do community service myself, uh, prompted me to kind of listen with intent. Uh, and it drew us into a conversation, ultimately me and uh, the leaders of our organization. And from there, uh, we were invited again to uh, be a part of the Mecklenburg County Youth Coalition. Uh, within that coalition uh, and having the background that I had and the pedigree, uh, if you will, from life experiences, uh, our, our program director had a, a similar vision and dream and had been writing things out to how disproportionately youth had been placed when they're disenfranchised through a community service program. And she had thought, hey, yeah, we can, this is something that it just, it just clicked. And so from that relationship, from there, uh, you know, that having the, having judges like, you know, the likes of, uh, you know, Judge Lutrage, Judge Alvarez Finkley, or Finkley Alvarez and Judge uh, Blake, you know, you, that gets, you know, for what you're trying to create with pro-social and, and interest-based initiatives gives you support. So how uh, do the kids get to you? Does a, like Ch uh, Child Protective Services say we have a kid that's, correct. you know, in the system and is going to be going into foster care or is it the juvenile justice system that refers kids to you or is it all of the above? Yeah, no, it can be 
from some of the above, but 97% of our youth are, in fact, juvenile justice referred. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, they're coming either through court, they're coming through SROs, school resource officers, which we try and promote more so because it you know hinders them from having to enter into the uh, juvenile justice system. Uh, but in addition to that, uh, we uh, get referrals from uh, local law enforcement agencies, police and sheriffs. Uh, to your point, we can take some uh, some uh, referrals from uh, parents. We can take some referrals uh, from clergy. So we've got a diverse uh, way of being able to receive uh, referrals. And generally, we serve about 300 youth a year. So, you know, when as you're working with the with the youth, what is the current state of the mental health of of these young people? I mean, do you, we talk. You you mentioned the word trauma informed. Have most of them had serious traumas in their life. Can you share a little bit about, about just what, what, what's happened to these kids to have them be in the juvenile justice system if 97% of your referrals are from that system? Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, we, can, we could go on with a lot of things that's happened uh, with that. Uh, beforehand, I'd like to kind of just, in the interest of Black History Month, I read a sure. quote that I've read, uh, you know, recently from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, who said, nothing in the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscious stupidity. Uh, I believe that there is, in fact, sincere ignorance within our community. And honestly, people don't and are not aware of the things that are happening. And oh, by the way, then there is the conscious stupidity that then keeps youth and us, you know, people from uh, having opportunities to really adjust and succeed. And so what what happens for for me is a lot of these youth find themselves uh, in desperate situations because of their lived conditions. Uh, You can't, you know, push folk into one space you know, hinder them from resources, whether economically, educationally, uh, civically, uh, and or, you know, in any of these ways and think that, yeah, oh, by the way, they're going to kind of pull themselves up from the bootstraps. And so because I think we've created these pockets of society in particular, yeah. uh, when we deal with, uh, you know, black and brown minority, uh, and the reason why I put an emphasis on that is because of the youth that we served last year, uh, we had 97% of our youth come in as black and brown men, young boys. Yeah. Uh, and our population is diverse. Uh, we come, uh, our, our referrals come from those sources. So there's no way we can kind of alter those numbers. Uh, but yeah, we, we, you know, it's kind of one of those deals of, you know, uh, again, serving Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian, you know, Indians. We serve uh, kids from all walks of life. Uh, but then to see those staggering numbers come in should make us question more. And so, yeah, I look at all Because we're really the adults. The systems are letting these kids down, right? In my opinion, absolutely. Absolutely. My, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's been my, so the mission, when you talk about resources and trying to get them, uh, getting yourself connected into the right people with the right places. I mean, we've been fortunate now to where to try and make sure these kids get the right resources. We're, uh, I, I shared that coalition, uh, but we sit on the juvenile justice behavioral health continuum. Uh, we work within system of care, uh, workforce development, NC Care 360. I mean, we we really look to uh, the, the local colleges. We work with Davidson. We work with uh, UNC Charlotte, Wingate, uh, Livingstone, if I didn't say. I mean, so whatever it takes to get resources to uh, the youth. Most of them so, are- so what's happening with the kids? I mean, I don't know if you have the studies of your organization. Are the kids, are, are, is there a good solid percentage of your kids, you know, getting into school, going to college, changing right. the course of their life as a result of 
the, the services that you're providing? So the fortunate thing uh, for you know me is that over time you get growth and uh, having worked for two global companies, Michelin and Brambles, there was an awareness of things you need to get to put together to kind of track. Uh, but we do have a system, the NCI allies, that track you know measurable outcomes for youth in terms of their successful completion of our programs. But there's nothing right now that connects youth to what happens to them beyond those orders. Uh, our organization this year will, in fact, have a dashboard that we will be able to track those uh, outcomes and measure them more uh, directly and with more specific uh, as to where they get connected to. And so uh, that's what's that's because of growth. Uh, I will tell you, though, that I have uh, seen youth graduate uh, high school uh, and go on to uh, their own careers uh, in the workforce. Uh, I have <laughs> just to my right there a picture of my first uh, classes where those young men were 13 and 14. They're now 20 and 21. Uh, you know, they, we, they got babies and they're, and, they're, and they're calling because of the impact of what I believe mentorship can uh, add to uh, any young person. Uh, but to be more specific to your uh, question, uh, the things we track internally help us show that you, in fact, have gotten connected uh, to the services and the plans that we uh, laid out in a, in a request for proposal uh, through a program agreement uh, process. Uh, but the long version short, it's, it, we've been able to demonstrate we've connected to them. Uh, we've got a better than 82% uh, completion rate. I think we've served a little over 1,600 and some 1,690 something youth uh, today, uh, with a little over 1,378, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around their success rate. I know it ended up being we're around about 82 to 83%. That's amazing. Uh, so we, yeah, we, we, I feel so it's funny you say that, and I'm grateful to hear that. I know that by most measurable objectives, that puts us in a good space. Uh, but for me, and knowing that the one that you lose or don't get uh, has a lesser opportunity, it means that you're 17% more opportunity. Uh, and so, as you know, uh, hey, Richie, I can't imagine that if you have some, a child that's 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 struggling, that you wouldn't try to find find him that's out. Right. That's right. <laughs> I can that's just right. see right. he'll knock on their door. Where is he? <laughs> well, yes. and, and, and I wish it was just red. I mean, so when I said when I said I wish, I'm grateful that it's not just red. So our, we've grown uh, five and a half years now. It's allowed for us to have uh, what we've twelve full time staff, maybe thirteen, another ten part time staff that helps us meet these needs over. Uh, and it is. It, it was the same thing said in corporate America. I say in this nonprofit world, uh, if we've got the right people, uh, we put the right processes in place with the right protocols, you can then get the best results, hopefully leading to best practices. And so all those things are, in fact, helping us, you know, really formulate a, a more uh, straight path to, towards the future for how we can, in fact, create that continuum of care that I said in a, in a, in a real system of care. Well, and um, I think we, that what cool. I'm really hearing, too, for, from our listeners who may be listening from other parts of the country or the world, is that you really worked to develop systems, new yeah. systems of collaboration. And so then if the kids didn't get what they needed for whatever reason, you were trying to provide for them now, whether it's right. how to go to the grocery store, how to open right. a bank account, right. or having basic vocational skills so they could get a job. These yeah, are like, no. you know, the basic ingredients of success and also hoping that, you know, if a kid doesn't have anything, they don't know how to make money, what are they yeah. going to do? They're gonna, the, the gangs and things are going to be more attractive to them because they don't have those skills to make it a difference for themselves. 
So, so yeah, is that in addition to the real stats that impact, again, these youth, when I talk about the numbers being what they are, there's far too much out here that speaks to the reality of African-American teens being faced with mental health uh, crises, but more less likely uh, than our counterparts to get that kind of treatment uh, for mental health. We're more criminalized, uh, if you will. Uh, there's so much study that shows the disparities in the numbers yes. uh, when you look at uh, where uh, we are by, you know, all the comparisons of all the other uh, you know, nationality groups. Uh, and then that has a you know a long lasting effect, not only on those youth, it impacts uh, them as adults, creating a, a, right. a, a worse society overall. Uh, but the numbers uh, speak for themselves. I am not always data driven, but certainly I've come to an, a, an acute a need for awareness of them. Uh, but no, I think the, the, those despairing, you know, odds gives uh, those young people, I mean, us as, you know, young black, you know, boys and men, a less likely chance to have success. And far too often, I mean, puts us in a chance that our lives are at risk. And so I, I think it's really important uh, when, you, when we talk about the things we're doing. So I, we created a mentoring program, a vocational program, a community service program, a teen court program. Uh, we, we work with Pinnacle for foster care placement. But this year we're going to be adding wellness skills, uh, and that's going to be a 12-week course. Uh, we're going to work with kids to uh, help them, uh, in fact, uh, get measurable outcomes, uh, including realizing their resiliency, uh, understanding the importance of those skills. Uh, they're going to help. We're going to help them learn biology. You got to know something. You got to know what the parents. <laughs> well, so that kind of kind of brings me to. <laughs> You know, we've heard from other folks about the community resiliency model that it does, it's a, you know, set of wellness skills. And it ha- does have, you know, some research behind now that it re- reduces, you know, symptoms of trauma, depression, anxiety. But it's also very accessible because it's, it's, it's really, as you know, brought to people as wellness skills. And, right. so, and some folks who are, and children, certainly young people who are, don't want to go to a therapist, they may have an entryway at least to get some wellness skills. So would you tell yeah. us a little bit more about what you, what your thoughts are about that? Because of course we know that, you know, we have, a, you know, if there's a mental health system, some kids are going to need that, but right. some kids are never going to get there. So give well, us your thoughts about that, um, Reggie. So, yeah, I think there, there are a lot of thoughts that I have about that. And I, and again, the hope would be that, you know, ultimately everybody within our society becomes more trauma informed, <laughs> And then from there, I mean, the, the reality becomes then how then can we meet these young people, you know, where they are? And, and to your point, I feel like there is a huge divide uh, in the mentality, uh, you know, there. And so, you know, uh, what I also kind of realize is that, you know, it's about how we, uh, in fact, include those skills. I think it's the first thing you'd have to do is realize that you, in fact, have a language that we can relate with, right? Yes. So I think it's like, you know, jive talking to, you know, when we're young or, you know, you know, you know we, we can freelance talk in different ways. Uh, I, I used to travel the country. When I say I travel the country, like I said, 26 states. But the one thing I learned that you can be in the country and English don't sound like English. You want to be able to understand each other. That's <laughs> right. You go to other countries. I visited <laughs> Ireland once and I couldn't understand what they were speaking and they were speaking English with such a. Unbelievable. I can imagine. <laughs> but di- so, dialect. <laughs> no, absolutely. And so for me, it's first of all, given you know, hope in the fact that there is a language, but more importantly, uh, some skills that you can learn that will help you uh, where you are. I think that's the importance of the wellness skills and the way that I think we're impacting them. 
uh, because the realization is that the youth that we're dealing with in this population coined at risk, I think, uh, you know, rather than an opportunity, as you like, uh, to, as we like to call them, uh, they find themselves the reality of being in front of the law enforcement agency on the wrong side. Uh, they find themselves in the homelessness more so often than their counters. And so meeting them where they are, uh, talking to them and bringing wellness skills in sort of a hip way. Uh, we're going to be introducing music. We're going to be taking them on trips. Uh, so they're going to be able to broaden their horizon. They're going to build those resources in addition to, and I think that that's going to help the youth we serve uh, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully help our communities even more. So Reggie, I knew that we were going to have no problems talking yeah. to each other for one hour. You, you so, called and, it. And I mean, I called it, didn't I? You so I'm just, I'm just wondering, and you have so much wisdom and, you know, as as people are out there listening to you, there's, you know, organizations thinking, well, maybe we can do in our community. I mean, I think reaching out to black and brown youth is so important for all the reasons that you're talking about. And just even the basics that you're talking about is so important to bring that forward. If they didn't get them, how do we get them to them so that we can wipe out the juvenile justice system and have these kids have the skills they need to empower them? So what's your last words of wisdom for for us today? Well, with mass, uh, you know, media and uh, kids being able to get information uh, in ways uh, that we've never been able to get them before. You can Google it or research it and get it within a matter of where you're the most informed and you can be five years old. Uh, the words of wisdom would be that, you know, I encourage us to you know keep meeting the needs of our young people who are growing mentally in that space faster than that what we might uh, would perceive ourselves but in the face of an unfortunate reality that they can't get to those things that they desire, we have to create those opportunities. And so that's why we see them as at opportunity youth. I hope we all kind of view them in that way uh, going forward. Uh, and so I hope that we collectively come together to create those opportunities uh, to, to keep on you know, making a difference, a positive, hopefully difference in the world around us. Thank you so much, Reggie. I hope for the same things. And again, I want to make sure that our listeners know how to get in touch with you. So please say your website again. Uh, www.tyminc.org. www.tyminc.org. So if anyone's out there who wants to start a similar organization or find out how he made all these amazing partnerships to help to help the youth of his community, I know Reggie is very open. I've contacted him a number of times and he shared his wisdom with me. Thank goodness. So Reggie, again, I just want to thank you so much for being on the show. I think we need to have you come back again um, because we need to hear about part two. The other thing I want to let people know that we're going to be posting on my, um, uh, what is it? Uh, my, I think we're going to be posting it on Resiliency Within, um, a little three-minute video that you have about oh, yeah, your program. Yeah. So I want to let people know that's going to happen. And so my, I guess it's a fifty-one-second intro to our community resiliency model. Okay. Oh, great. Okay. So, and that's going to be on my YouTube channel as well, Resiliency Within. And I just want to end that, and and may we all be reminded that National Black History Month serves as a celebration and a powerful reminder that Black history is American history, Black culture is American culture, and Black stories, as 
as Reggie's sharing with us, are essential to the ongoing story of America and how we're working together to build resiliency and well-being. And as Resiliency Within shines a light on Black history today, believing this is important to understanding ourselves and growing stronger and recognizing this common humanity, Reggie, that you so beautifully talk about. And I want to end with the words today of Desmond Tutu, who, you know, died in the end of December. What a wonderful, wonderful Christian minister he was. He said, my, humani- my humanity is bound up in yours, for we can only be human together. <laughs> and so with that, Reggie, I'm so glad I'm, I'm human with you and that we've crossed paths in our world. Yeah, thank, you. thank you so much, Elaine. Okay, so God bless you, and I will um, see you all soon. We'll be here next um, next week on the 14th. My guest will be um, Rena Evers Edward, Meg, Medgar Evers' daughter, who will talk to us about the Medgar and Marilee uh, Evers Institute and their work about bringing in um, authentic, truthful Black history to yeah. our country's children. So yeah. come and listen next week. Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.